Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by Leading the Church in a Post-Pandemic Culture, a new Doctor of Ministry and Church Leadership Focus from Wesley Theological Seminary and the Lewis Center for Church Leadership. With this track, clergy will receive the enhanced knowledge, skills, and motivation to increase congregational and denominational service, vitality, and growth in the post-pandemic world. Learn more and apply by February 15th for May 2023 at churchleadership.com slash demon. And remember to stay up to date with the latest church leadership strategies and information. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos. How can church leaders address conflicts? In this episode, we speak with attorney and mediator Charlie Pillsbury about mediating conflicts in congregations. Welcome to Leading Ideas Talks, a podcast featuring thought leaders and innovative practitioners. I am Jessica Anschutz, the Assistant Director of the Lewis Center for Church Leadership, and I am your host for this Leading Ideas Talk. Joining me is Charlie Pillsbury, an attorney, mediator, and co-director of the Center on Dispute Resolution at Quinnipiac University School of Law. Welcome, Charlie. I'm grateful for your willingness to share some of your conflict mediation wisdom with our listeners. I look forward to our conversation today. I want to start off by inviting you to share a little bit about your background in conflict mediation. Well, sure. Uh, first of all, I graduated from law school in 1975. So uh, the law is certainly a form of dispute resolution. And I practiced law for a dozen years. And uh, uh, I was a good lawyer, but it didn't feed me. And uh, I went through kind of a what I call a vocational nervous breakdown, and in that process, uh, I was also had also joined uh, an organization called the Christian Legal Society. It's a very evangelical, conservative uh, Christian organization, uh, and I don't agree with it on on everything. But I am always impressed with people who take their faith seriously seven days a week, not just one day a week. And uh, and it was actually through that that I. Uh, discovered this uh, uh, symposium on called the Ministry of Reconciliation uh, in Lombard, Illinois, at, at Wheaton College, the alma mater of Billy Graham. Uh, and uh, I was curious uh, because it was inviting lawyers, mediators uh, uh, to come out and uh, look at it through a, a scriptural lens. And uh, uh, I had never really thought of it that way. And uh, so I went, and uh, of course, I was. Uh, there were maybe another you know, two or three other people from mainline churches. It was all evangelicals or a lot of uh, Mennonites, brethren, you know, peace churches. Uh, it was really kind of an Alice in Wonderland experience for me. And so I go back to New Haven, and literally within a week, uh, I learned about this community mediation program. And I, at that point, I lived in New Haven for a dozen years. And was very well tuned in. I was, I chaired the uh, uh, 
the Columbus House Homeless Shelter. I was very active in my church. And I'd never heard of this little sleepy mediation program in the Fairhaven neighborhood of New Haven. And uh, they had a training. And I couldn't make it that summer. That was the summer of uh, uh, 87. So really, the following year, I did, did a 15-hour training in those days and became a mediator, volunteer mediator. And at the same time, I had gone back to the Yale Divinity School, another way to, as a, as a special student, uh, uh, to get in, not an MDiv, but an MAR. And, uh, uh, and I was partway through that and had uh, created this internship with this mediation program because the, the director of the program at the time was a UCC pastor. So it was easy to set up as a, as a, uh, as, as a, internship site, field placement. And, uh, and I hadn't been there a, a, more than a month or two when my <laughs> placement director, my supervisor, announced that she was retiring. And I'm saying, God, what am I going to do now? I mean, you know, and then I said, oh, I know I can apply for her job. So that's what I did. I was hired. And, uh, and for the, the next 20 years, uh, it was the, the, really the best job I, I, I ever had. And probably will ever have was as the executive director of a, a community mediation center in New Haven. And, uh, and we did more than mediation. We actually created a, a dialogue program with churches, uh, actually around kind of the Rodney King incident uh, of New Haven when a young black man was slain by an East Haven police officer. For the last 13 years, uh, I figured 20 years is a good run. I don't want to overstay my welcome. And I, 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 uh, started teaching as an adjunct at Quinnipiac, and now they call me a distinguished practitioner in residence. I love talking about, you know, the, the scriptural foundations of my, my journey, my vocational journey, because I think it's was spirit-led, and, uh, and here I am talking to you now about some of that. Wonderful. What an incredible background you have in our topic area. I feel like we're not going to have enough time today to cover all of the possibilities that we could talk about. But going back to your point about scripture informing um, what you do, uh, how does scripture inform your approach to dispute resolution? Well, first of all, I was drawn to the ministry of reconciliation. And uh, uh, you probably remember one of my professors at the Yale Divinity School and at the School of Religious Studies, Dwayne, Dwayne Meeks, you know, a New, a New Testament scholar, not one for small talk, came up to me after a service at Battelle Chapel Field and uh, asked me, Charlie, um, um, do you experience, is there, you know, knowing what I did, is there some tension between the Ministry of Reconciliation and the Ministry of Justice? And I said, absolutely. You know, I feel like I live on that tight wire. I mean, it's a, that's what this is. It's a, it's a Ministry of Reconciliation, but it's also a Ministry of Justice. But, uh, you know, there are other people who do justice better than I do. And, and I think I do reconciliation better than most. So that's my, that's my path. And when I went to this, uh, this program, the symposium, uh, I learned that actually it was being organized by a Lombard Mennonite Peace Center. So of course it was the Mennonites. The Mennonites are everywhere in this, uh, in this uh, Ministry of Reconciliation. Uh, and, uh, uh, and Richard Blackburn was then the director and the two pieces of scripture that they drew on was first that passage from Matthew 18, where, you know, what you do when a brother sins against you, you know, you go talk to your brother. And if they don't listen to you, then you take, you know, one or two 
people to as witnesses to talk. And if that doesn't work, then you take it to the whole church. And I, I think that many scholars view that as a it led to the shunning, to the expelling of a person from the, you know, treat them like a tax collector or a gentile. They got they got kicked out of the of the, their community. But uh, uh, I was struck the way that it was used because actually I looked at that passage enough, and it's framed by, you know, you look at that pericope is framed by two amazing passages of forgiveness on either side, including how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? No, seven times, seventy-seven times. That. Um, and the other passage they used uh, was the passage from Paul's uh, first letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter six, verses one through eight. I remember that well because uh, that's where Paul is totally exasperated with the Corinthian church. Uh, because if any church has conflict, I don't think any church compares to what the conflict that the early Christians had at the Corinthian church, where they were fighting over everything, you know, what to eat, what to wear on their heads. Uh, um, uh, who to believe in. Uh, now, anyway, it was, uh, but Paul, just at one point in exasperation, I'm sure, said, you know, you know, isn't there anybody, you know, I guess what happens is that somebody sues each other. They, they, they actually, two members of the church are suing each other. And of course, it's now going to the Greek courts and these are pagan courts. And Paul is saying, you know, what are you doing? Airing your dirty laundry in pagan courts? Isn't there anybody wise enough among you to settle this matter. Uh, basically, it was a call for churches to take seriously um, uh, how they, churches, resolve their own conflicts. Um, you know, whether it's a congregation-wide conflict or uh, individual conflict. You know, so it was those, I'd say that's where it begins. But then, of course, I love, I have a whole series of sacred stories. I haven't done yet one on the Matthew. I've done one on the, on the Paul passage and, and on other passages. The my favorite is probably the reconciliation between Esau and Jacob um, after they, he, Jacob crosses the Jabbok River. And we will link to your sacred stories in our bio on our podcast page so our listeners can check those out. In, in thinking about your approach to dispute resolution, Charlie, when a conflict occurs in a church, what strategies can church leaders use to address it? Uh, well, um, Matthew 18 is a guide. I mean, you, the first step in any conflict is direct communications. Um, what happens in churches, what happens everywhere is people triangulate. And they start talking about, you know, this, per this person did that. Uh, if you're upset, talk to that person. You know, that's the first principle of conflict resolution. Um, the second, uh, really, that people forget uh, is that people are not the problem. You know, we turn people into the problem, but that's, again, uh, not a, a, a fundamental principle of conflict resolution. The problem is the problem. So how do you separate a person, maybe the person was having a bad day, you know, let's deal with the problem. Give the person a chance to explain what happened. Um, and uh, so I think those are the two, you know, that's where you begin. What I'd like to say about churches, maybe answering another question, is there are two types of conflicts. There, there are really conflicts among individuals. One of the most common you see, of course, is uh, a male senior pastor and a female 
a junior associate pastor, might be between the pastor and the, you know, the board. Uh, that can, that that's a bigger conflict, but it could also be something that's engulfed the whole church. And uh, and and uh, and then you you know, there's a limit to what mediation can do. Mediation is very good at seeking agreements, helping people reach an agreement about a specific issue, a specific problem. But when you have a broader problem, uh, you may want to turn to dialogue and and uh, approach it uh, with a neutral facilitator. I really I can't say how important it is when you go to that level, not for somebody within the church who thinks they can be neutral in the middle of a congregation-wide, I mean, that's just a fundamental area. Even sometimes when you're doing a, a long-range plan, you should get an outside somebody who's neutral who can help you guide you through a long-range planning process. Uh, but even, you know, to deal with a conflict and because what that person can do is they can, they can go talk to the people who, you know, before they bring everybody together, they're going to do their homework and they're going to talk to uh, the people who are most involved in that conflict, who know most about it, uh, before they bring people together. So it's a um, use a neutral. Don't, you know, if, I think pastors make mistakes, even if they're trained mediators, if they do disputes within, you know, you can dispute, you can go to help your next door, the church next door solve a dispute. But in your own church, you know, you, you, there's no way you can be neutral and impartial. It just simply is. So my little sermon on, on conflict resolution. I think it's a very important wisdom for people to take in mind, especially when they're addressing conflicts in their in their context. One of the things I experienced as a pastor was often um, conflicts that would arise in the context of a meeting. And I'm wondering if you have some thoughts on how church leaders can can sort of mitigate and, and interrupt those moments, experiences, and um, move through them in an effective way. Uh, well, the foundation for any dispute, whether it's a mediation or a dialogue, I mean, in the meeting you're talking about facilitated dialogue, there's a moderator, there's somebody who's chairing the meeting. Um, uh, the group has to have a set of ground rules. Um, in, a, in a church setting, we call it a covenant, an agreement uh, of how we're going to interact with each other, how we're going to talk with each other. Um, we're going to talk about ourselves. We're not going to talk about other people. We, you know, uh, we're not going to interrupt each other. We're not going to call each other names. Um, uh, and unless you have um, those ground rules, which uh, everyone, and a, has agreed to, and at one point, you know, I'm doing this uh, 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 dialogue training, and I realized that at community mediation, we did not have ground rules, um, and I realized we have to practice what we preach. It actually took us. You know, mediators can have arguments too. It took us, I think, four or five months to agree on a set of ground rules. Uh, but once you have that foundation. Um, then who's ever facilitating the meeting can remind people. In fact, it's useful to remind people at the beginning of the meeting. You know, here are our ground rules. And, uh, uh, and so, uh, uh, and that is a, a meeting facilitator's best friend. The second thing, aside from ground rules, is that every meeting has to have an agenda. 
a lot of people try to wing it. Um, uh, you want a timed agenda, you know, and uh, so part of it, you can also use time. Say, you know, we're spending a lot of time on this issue. Maybe we need to talk about it outside the meeting. Maybe we need to talk about it after the meeting. You know, we have other things on our agenda, but, um, and that agenda should be shared with everybody. Everybody should know what it is. Uh, and then you, whoever's facilitating, can follow the agenda. Um, sometimes what I do is I give myself a timed agenda as the facilitator of a meeting. And, and I don't time it for the, for the people because, you know, they get, we're, we're already five minutes past. We've been, you know, you know let, let me as a facilitator kind of manage the time. Um, so I call it a private agenda, a public agenda, but ground rules and agendas are, you know, help keep the peace in, in meetings, whether it's church meetings, office meetings, family meetings. Absolutely. And I can see how they would uh, limit conflict in, in a lot of cases. Sometimes in churches, conflict stems from negativity and pushback, either from church members or uh, church staff members. What can church leaders do to, to address that? Um, again, I think they need to talk to each person individually. People uh, begin with their positions, um, but the positions are just kind of, their, that's the first thing that comes out. That's their, their first story. And part of it is to, uh, you know, I, mean, I, I guess even more important than being trained in mediation, um, if you haven't had an opportunity to be trained in something called active listening or compassionate listening, there are multiple ways of, um, of doing that, but, but it is really hard to listen well. You can't listen well all the time. To listen well, you have to be on. And, you, and it's in those down moments sometimes that, that you say things that you didn't mean to say. If you have you know, that, that skill, you can, first of all, reflect back, okay, so you're really upset about this. You know, but, why are you upset? You, you want to get underneath that position. What's, what's, what does this person need? What's going on underneath? Why have they staked themselves? Why have they kind of anchored themselves to this position? You know, what's it doing for them? What need is it meeting? What, what's going on? Um, uh, and to give you the simplest example, of, uh, one of my favorite examples of the difference between a position and an interest is a, uh, an actual case that uh, happened in a new, the New Haven Fire Department in a fire um, fire station, and the dispute was over whether the light should be on or the light should be off on the second floor where everybody sleeps. Um, and there were firefighters in the fire station fighting with each other about whether the light should be on or the light should be off, and it ended up on the, the, the chief's desk. And I was talking to him, and he said, "You know, these are the kind of things that don't need to end up on my desk. You know, we have to figure out how to train." trained firefighters so we did training and what i learned about training firefighters that you know like unlike police the conflicts they have is with the citizens firefighters have conflict with each other that's where they have their conflict and so there they want lights on lights off why do they want the lights on well of course one side wants the lights on because they wanted to see where the pole was they don't want to get up in the middle of the night and miss the pole they got to get down the pole why do other people want the lights off because they want to sleep. They don't like sleeping with the lights on. You need to get these firefighters talking about how are we going to figure this problem? This is our problem. This makes them own the problem and makes them figure it out, but help them get below their positions to what they need, what they want. And uh, 
Uh, so I think that applies really in any setting. I can certainly see that applying in in churches. And if you get stuck in your position, you may lose sight of possible solutions that would resolve the conflict. I'm trying to remember, uh, there's a wonderful rabbi, uh, I think Rabbi Friedman, now deceased, who wrote a book, uh, I think about from generation to generation, it goes back many years. But uh, he basically was trained as a family therapist. And he was a rabbi and a family therapist. And he began to see the disputes inside his congregation mimic some of the disputes he saw in family settings. Um, and uh, so you know, I, I recommend that, that, that book. In, in thinking about opportunities for education, um, how can church leaders cultivate conflict mediation skills? Are there other ways in addition to, you know, tra attending trainings or workshops? Um, well, they can model, they can model that. I mean, you know, um, uh, you know, what people really want, anybody wants, and pastors know this better than lawyers, uh, they want to be heard, you know. So uh, I think you can model that and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, Mediation training, you know, that's your, there you're, you want to function as a neutral. I mean, most people are not neutral. So, you know, they don't need mediation training. But it, I do think if, if they're sometimes it's mediation centers, but maybe other, you know, just training and listening skills. How do you listen to people? Um, so, you know, those are, you know, two-hour workshops. I actually remember doing a workshop. This was... Um, uh, trying to help a group of pastors understand that there's a difference between when you say, um, you know, you, people will say, I feel that she's stupid. And I'm saying, no, that's not what you feel. That's what you think. You know, how do you, how do you, you know, you know, that's, that's a thought, you know, that's not a feeling, you know? So part of it is, you know, active living is understanding feelings and, what they are and trying to surface those feelings. And that's what, you know, learning to interact uh, and, and ask open-ended questions, you know, how did that happen? Or how did we get here? You know, tell me what happened. An open-ended question, kind of open things up and let people just talk and separate the facts from the feelings. You know, it sounds like this is the issue, but, you know, you're really feeling very sad about this. I mean, this is, you're in, you're in grief, you know, you feel like you've lost the, a relationship and uh, um, and uh, you know uh, that's hard you know so you know people need to be heard at two levels they need to be heard at the fact level and at the feeling level and that's a skill um, that uh, I don't think enough pastors get when they're in school frankly um, but uh, maybe they do maybe uh, <laughs> You know, the seminary education has changed since I was there, so 30 years ago. I think that's a really important distinction between fact and, and feeling and something that we probably need to pay more attention to. Charlie, you've mentioned a couple of times the importance of involving a third party when a conflict exists. Can you speak more about that, about how folks, especially how folks can can recognize when it is time 
to engage the third party? Um, well, I think, but as time is when it's whatever you're doing is not working. Sometimes churches make the mistake in thinking that they can, they can do their own long-term planning. I think you really need a facilitator there too. The resource that many communities can turn to is, is the, our local mediation centers where there are trained mediators and facilitators and the way they can connect with that is that there's an organization called the National Association for Community Mediation. And I think the website is just nafcm.com um, or .org. I think it's, you know, it's a nonprofit. Um, but uh, uh, they, you can go to where you live and what's the nearest center to you. Uh, there are some mediation wastelands and churches and, and synagogues and mosques. Uh, everybody thinks that God or, or Jehovah or Allah is on their side. That's really tricky. You know, when you, you think God's on your side, because there's a, there's a famous Mark Twain poem about everybody during the Civil War, about the North and the South praying to the same God, yeah, who, of course, loves everybody. Uh, and how ridiculous that was. Even Mark Twain got, got the hint. So, uh, um, how can faith leaders address that issue of people thinking God is on their side? Uh, well, I think by pointing out that God is on everybody's side. I mean, the notion that uh, um, coaches are out pray, praying for their teams on, you know, now it goes to the Supreme. I mean, come on, God's not taking sides. You know, you know God's going to is laughing at you. You think if you think that God is going to take sides in your football game, you know, you got to look at your theology. Um, um, so um, I think that, you know, making that point, which is so obvious, but that's a position again, you know, God's on my side. That's your position. You know, what, what's really going on? What's really upsetting you? I mean, you know, uh, what can we do, you know, because God, the spirit works through all of us. So how can we you know, how can we channel that spirit to, uh, you know, because um, really it's, it's not God, it's the Holy Spirit that really at, at work in these, these matters that, uh, uh, that work. Uh, and you can feel it sometimes. I would also begin in any setting, maybe even before you have ground rules and, a, and a, an agenda, you start with an opening prayer and a closing prayer. You know, you got to frame this. This is, a, this is a church meeting. We're calling in the Holy Spirit to to work with all of us to help us, to, you know, stick to our ground rules and get through our agenda and and love each love each other even if we don't like each other and um, you know that, you know so prayer is good too. I think that's an important reminder to frame our work in the context of our faith. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time, Charlie, to talk with me today. As we conclude, I want to invite you to share one or two or three thoughts uh, that for people who are in the midst of conflict right now, what, what should they look to do as initial steps? Before you try to even get together, you should go talk to somebody. You should, you should talk to somebody. You should talk to the pastor. You should talk to your therapist. You should talk to your social worker. You should, you know, you could show, you know, whoever it is, I think, um, uh, you know, you need to take care of yourself. And conflict is, is draining. And, uh, uh, and it's hurt, it's, it's hurtful. And, uh, so each party really has to find ways to care for themselves. And, 
Um, and sometimes I think, uh, you know, people in going through difficult points in their marriage or difficult points, you know, often told by their therapists or their pastoral counselors, you need to get your own, you know, it's not enough just to come to see me, the two of you together. You know, you really need to talk to somebody else. This is a really deep issue for you, more than we're going to be able to handle. And, and I recommend that the, the other person do the same. You don't want to be even-handed, but uh, get help. You know, talk to somebody um, you trust. I, I'll leave people with this. You know, I'm a Minnesotan, uh, born and bred there. In Minnesota, we say there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. Um, uh, that's the same thing is true in conflict. Conflict is not bad. There's no such thing as bad conflict. Conflict is good. Conflict gives us an opportunity to learn. Um, but conflict just is. It's like the weather. And so it's how you handle the weather. It's how you handle the conflict that matters. Uh, and, uh, um, and so that's what I just say. It's, it's, conflicts are opportunities. So look at conflict as an opportunity to learn, to uh, become closer to somebody, to understand somebody. I mean, just to look at it positively, frame it positively. The importance of, of self-care in all aspects of ministry. And thank you for drawing that connection to conflict resolution. Charlie, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a joy to talk with you. I'm sure what you have shared here today will help our listeners as they address the conflicts in their context. Well, thank you, Jessica. It's wonderful to see you again and, uh, um, and have your email pop up and, and have this opportunity to, to connect at least via Zoom. Yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody uh, if they want to talk some more. So you have my contact information and please feel free to share it. Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos.